0: joining me for the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. Today's conversation is about art and activism and media literacy and racial justice and messing with the system and having fun. The person I'm talking to is Keith Knight. He is the creator, the head writer, and the subject of the amazingly hilarious and hard-hitting uh, Hulu series Woke, uh, which just got renewed for a second season, which is coming out on April 8th, 2022. I met him through my daughter, Yael, who is also part of this conversation. So if you go to the show notes at com slash 504, you'll be able to see some of those great photos. And Keith is hilarious and he is wise. And we talked about a whole host of issues, including his initiative, Black Mugshots. So I won't say more about it now, but if you go to Black you'll see what he's about. And so in our conversation, we talked about what it's like to um, represent your life on a, a television uh, dramedy comedy drama. Um, how Keith thinks about America and race and what's important, and just all about sort of creativity and having fun and making a difference in a pretty complicated world. I hope you enjoy it. The other thing is that when we started, instead of me doing the usual, whoa, Keith Knight, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast, he encouraged me just turn it, hit the record button, and let's just start talking. So it feel like it really opened me up to kind of higher levels of, casual conversation and creativity, and it was just a lot of fun. Now, for audio, it's important to know we were in person. We were sitting outside at a coffee shop in Carborough, North Carolina, so there is ambience. There is birdsong and cars going by and, and snippets of other conversation, but I made sure that everything that's important is eminently hearable. So here we go. Yeah, all right. Well, we're already in the conversation. So my first question is, should I call you Keith or Keith? Keith. Uh, Keith is sort of
1: my nickname, but now that it's a different, you know, now that there's a character named Keith, it's like it's much easier to differentiate. differentiate. Okay. But I still sign my name Keith all the time because it's just easier to type. Uh huh. So.
0: Okay. I mean, I could have gotten away with being ambiguous about it, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and the reason why. Keith became my nickname. Was there were these two Haitian brothers in my uh, college dormitory that couldn't pronounce th, so they would get they'd be all like Keith,
0: Keith all the time. So oh, okay. I I spent a a year in Israel, so my name should be Avi. Ah, they couldn't do the H or the W. Oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, Keith Knight. Welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be
1: out on a sunny day when it's pleasant outside, not freezing.
0: Yeah, so hope, hopefully the uh, the ambient noise won't won't detract from the, from the clarity. I I love that stuff because it puts you in a place. So I like that. Mm. All right, I, I feel like you've upped my podcast game twice now. <laughs> so we just started talking, and we're in a place. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, I don't know.
1: I, I, I love, I love the town. I love the community of Carborough. So, um, mm-hmm. it's nice to be out
0: amongst people and yeah. see faces. Yep. Yep. I've been doing this podcast virtually and remotely for a long time. So, I know. We did the
1: whole season two. Um, we wrote season two on Zoom, which, in some ways, it's great because I didn't have to go to Los Angeles and write it. I wrote mm. season, season one and flew back like every two weeks to visit my family. So it was nice to just get an office and do it from here. And um, I think I think it's going to be the future of it because certainly the production companies save all this money instead of having a, an office building in downtown Los Angeles. Like, let's just zoom in and, and mm-hmm. get this stuff done. So,
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's more room for... Or out of the box ideas. If you're not like in a writer's room, where one personality is uh, dominating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a combination of, of the two. I think I think there should be a, a point where everyone does get to meet, so we just get to know each other's, you know, a little bit, like idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. But then we all go and so a combination of the two, I think, would be really good. And mm. and you're right, like there's there's some bit of of um, chemistry that happens when people are together, so I think that needs to establish but there's also um, it's also nice to just be able to sit in a room and <laughs> you have to go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom Just flick off and go to the bathroom so
0: it's nice. so, so let's uh, let's back up and talk about what we're what we're talking about oh yeah yes. So the the show is called Woke. Yes. It's on on Hulu. Yes. And you just announced season two air date, right? Season
1: two's air date, April 8th, 2022. And yeah, just announced it yesterday. So really, this is the first time I'm actually talking about it. So it's sort of a big scoop, you know.
0: Excellent. I'm, I'm, you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the scoop today.
1: Cutting edge, cutting edge.
0: <laughs> so, and, uh, and we're joined uh, on the sidelines by my daughter, Yael, who's taking the photos. And you're gonna occasionally going to make some noise, right?
2: I wanted to. I'm just just want to know what's what can you tell us about season two
0: we might get there but we have to do it gently
2: okay.
0: yeah, um, yeah, it so is. first I just want to ask you about about you so you've been a cartoonist for a long time
1: for a long time I'd say close to 30 years now a professional cartoonist like uh, 30 years <laughs> it's kind of insane but um, it's it's something I, I always wanted to do and and it's there is no, no one right way to do it. And I think if you asked twenty different cartoonists how they earned a living as a cartoonist, they would give you twenty different answers. You know, and uh,
0: well, like half the boys in my school when I was a kid, you know, were cartoonists, right? Like that was a thing that a bunch of them did. They would draw superheroes or, or, or comic strips. None of us thought that it was a career. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I mean, it. it
1: Honestly, it really isn't. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's one of those things where I was just lucky enough to get encouraged by the right people and um uh and just figured it out. It was like I had some really amazing teachers, two amazing teachers and and one was uh an English teacher when I was a junior in high school and he assigned us um animal farm to read um george orwell and it was truly the first book that i've ever read from front to back in school that i was assigned and um and (laughs) it's it's mainly because i just couldn't i never could relate to any of the other books and and this is something to be said about about the books that kids are assigned in school um (laughs) I got more books where there were the pro- protagonists were animals than people of color. So, like, huh. I could never. I felt like I could never relate to any of the books until Animal Farm came around. and It was like, oh, the animals take yeah. over the farm and kick out the farmers. So, I said to my uh, English teacher, I he, we had to do a book report, and I said I can't do justice to this unless I can do a book, re- a comic book report. Can I do a comic book report? He said, sure. So what I did was do a parody of Animal Farm. So instead of uh, animals and farmers on a farm, I did students and teachers in my high school. (laughs) And uh, so it was me. I was the head student, the head pig, Napoleon. And uh, all my friends and everybody else were um, the rest of the farm animals. And the teachers, obviously, were the farmers. And I had... Rules like un- under eighteen good, over eighteen bad, you know stuff like that. And I did caricatures of all the teachers and was making fun of everybody. And my my English teacher was so psyched about it that he kept it in, in the teachers' lounge a little bit longer <laughs> to show all the teachers. And uh, and when he returned it back to me, he wrote a plus plus. You capture the essence of Animal Farm perfectly. But more importantly, you should be doing a syndicated comic strip. <laughs> so that was the first time I'd ever heard syndicate, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so that is what really led me to the local newspaper. Because I started to read syndicate along the side of each comic strip. And I went to the local paper and they explained what a syndicate was. And sort of that set me on my way to, I'm going to do a daily comic strip. So I did it for my high school paper, my college newspaper. And then moved to San Francisco, and and, and things changed. <laughs> changed a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, you, grew, you grew up in Massachusetts, right?
1: I was up, yep. I grew up in Malden, Massachusetts, um, home of Jack Albertson from Chico and the Man and, and Willy Wonka. And um, also Killer Kowalski. He had a wrestling school up there. <laughs> and... Um, and a couple of uh, Stephen King's uh, horror stories okay. have partly taken place in Malden. Oh, also home to Converse All Stars. That's where Converse All Stars were invented.
0: No kidding. Okay. Yes. I just saw your uh, your your strip on uh, new shoes.
1: Yes, yes my my new shoes. <laughs> not first time. Not Converse. Huh? It's insane. Like for the first time, my back doesn't hurt. It like stopped hurting because I have decent shoes. <laughs> This is really, really kind of sad that I realized that. In my 50s, I've been wearing the wrong shoes all my life. So, uh, shout out to Allbirds. They're expensive, but they're good. Mm-hmm. That's the, That should be their tagline. We're expensive, but we're good.
0: <laughs> the, you know, chucks are uh, iconic. Though, they're, Like have I- to give up a little... Comfort, for yeah, yeah,
1: uh, no, that's true. That's true. They're they're the um, Doc Martens of sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> They've
0: also gotten expensive. Oh, compared to like when they were the, you know twenty five dollar well, pairs when I was a kid. It is.
1: Well, here's the great thing about growing up in the place where they invented them. There used to be a factory um, in our town, and. Before people realized that they could sell Irregulars for less money They used to just dump them into A a dumpster next to the thing So we would dumpster dive And just pull out, it would just be Stitching that's off or you know Just something that's a little bit wrong And and we would do that there and at New Balance, actually New Balance was uh, My buddy was Really into New Balance so He took me to Cambridge to to dumpster dive There but uh, I was Mm -hmm. I probably if I should probably should have went with
0: New Balance because <laughs> my my back would be a lot better right now. But <laughs> I know anyway, the reason I was asking about that when you were talking about you know Animal House, uh, Animal Farm. Sorry, <laughs> Wrong move. <laughs> That's a whole, whole other whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. And and you know being able to relate to it because there were no books. Uh, people who looked like you. Was it predominantly white school? And oh yeah.
1: Well. It's funny because Malden is known as the most diverse town in Massachusetts, and so you know I grew up. I grew up in the black section of, of, of uh, Malden, so it wasn't like you know I was surrounded by white people. Although I, I when my sister and I went to, we went to a, a school from fourth grade to sixth grade called the Major Works Program, and. <laughs> It was supposed to be the smartest kids in the city that go there. And my mom just revealed to me that um, I didn't go because I was the smartest. (laughs) It was my twin sister who was really smart. (laughs) And they thought that she'd be better off if her twin brother was there with her. And we were the only black kids at that school. But, um, but, yeah, it was interesting because that school was we it wasn't a normal school it was like we did plays and puppet shows like did presentations it was a whole different thing and I wish schools remain that way like or or the rest of my time because we went back into the school system at in seventh grade and it was just back to regular school again and it was just like oh Mm -hmm. this is not good but I carried that creativity into seventh grade, and I was drawing comics all the time and and sort of became known as the comic, the Uh comics guy. But, yeah, my mom revealed to me that I'm not that smart. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. So you were the wingman. I was the wingman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And one of the reasons I'm interested in this is, you know, uh, the—it's not a spoiler, like the premise of of Woke— is in the the title, and mm. you know, you get it. The first ten minutes of the first episode is it's it's about a fictionalized version of of you. I don't know how fictionalized yet, but it's someone who um, is a, trying to be a mainstream cartoonist. Cartoonist, and yeah. you know, there's all these references. You know, to, to your you and your roommates are talking about Jar Jar Binks. Um, you have a um, there was a a cartoon on your uh, on your website that I saw. I'm not, I'm blanking on the name, but it was like this British TV show that you really liked as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah, the Young Ones, yeah. the Young Ones. Yeah. Now, so I'm you know I'm curious about like the seems to be like a tension between like you just liking sort of nerd culture, which is largely white culture, and then becoming woke. And your you know your work is so overtly political and. Um, racially informed i'm i'm curious about the well i i will say this that black people
1: are the biggest nerds and and that's you know maybe it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem that way but every rapper that's ever existed are into superheroes because Being a a hip hop artist is like being a superhero. You got your regular persona, and you got your rap persona. You got the name. You got you boast about how great or strong or rich or whatever. Like it's it it really is very similar to it. And I don't know. I just grew up in a place where you know my friend's older brother was had like a Led Zeppelin painting on the wall, you know, and the you know black people are you know into <laughs> other things other than what you see on t v and so it was important for me with the show to show that like that it's perfectly normal that uh being into not only hip-hop, but being into punk music, being into British comedy, bring in, being into all this different stuff. So uh, I think my wife said it best, and my wife is German. She said, you know, uh, when I met you and your family and your friends and all that stuff, she's like, the fir- you know, the, one of the first things I thought about was like black people, you know, talk way differently in person than they do on TV <laughs> like, and you know and the point is who these images of black folks on TV who are the gatekeepers to that mm. and it's white people like white people have a particular image or idea of what black is and they allow that to be on TV and so it's important. it was important for me to have a show that showed different aspects of it. So that's why there's Keefe and then Clovis is like his yang to, to Keefe's yin, you know? So um, it, it was important to celebrate all the types of music that mm. black folks make, you know? Because, and I say this during my presentations if it wasn't for black people, all the music on the radio would sound like all that stuff you hear at a renaissance fair you know <laughs> doo, 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 doo. like and i i honestly don't understand why schools public schools don't teach just music and sort of his, historically in this country because that's one of our biggest ex- exports i will say hip-hop rock and roll is um, uh, you know Music is one of America's biggest exports and it's it's essentially, it's a black creation. And we should be celebrating that. But, you know, Mm -hmm. folks are trying to prevent it from being, things from being taught, you know. (laughs) It's (laughs) like, essentially the blues are talking about how tough and bad your life is. Well, you know, we don't want to teach that because it sounds like, you know, it sounds like CRT uh, stuff like that. <laughs> it's silly. It's silly. But that, the, you know, that's, it was important to me to do that. It's important to me to show, and, I, I, and the same thing with my comics. When I first started the K Chronicles, which is my autobiographical comic that I've been doing for like 30 years, I just remember that I created it because I was a hip hop fan in the 80s and we would spin it on our college radio station and our college music director would say don't do that don't spin that you know like and we're like why and you know, it's like they—they're so excited to spin punk music and new wave and stuff because it's independent and it's raw and it's this. What's more raw than than, than so, golden age late eighties hip hop? You know. So what were what were some of the albums and artists? I mean, everything from Public Enemy to Tribe Called Quest to uh, N.W.A. to like a a lot mm-hmm. of just Schooly D back in the day. Mm-hmm. KRS One. Um, De La Soul, we were spinning all
0: this great stuff, and you know, we eventually got kicked off the air. But... So was was it just? Were they, I mean, were they listening to the lyrics? Because there, there's you know, there was hard political messages.
1: Well, that's the and, thing. Well, and you know, a lot, of, a lot we, of anger. We talk about this even, and we talk. I talk about this today, like all this stuff about police brutality. <laughs> you know, N.W.A. was writing about. You know, there's a reason why they put out F the police, right? Like. You know, if you listen to what people were saying, rappers were saying, none of this, everything that's going on with police brutality, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is what they were talking about. But people were determined to get rid of the messenger, you know, let's ban this music. Let's, you know, let's prevent them from playing here. Let's prevent them from playing. There's so much violence at hip hop shows and blah, blah, blah. I will tell you right now that there's more violence at country music shows. Like, you know, the last big shoot up at a concert was at a country music festival in Las Vegas, mm. you know. So are you going to ban that? Like, like, yeah. So, And I was in a hip hop band for 10 Ten years.
0: That's right. I saw the uh, the YouTube of um, "I'm my, I'm My Best Lover." Yeah. Oh yes, yes. What a great song. <laughs> huh? You were telling me about that. This morning. I think like, like that is one of the most sex positive things I've ever heard in, in a world where all the incels are like no fapping. Yeah. You're like, um, well, that's... you know, and you're wearing the the sign. I love fapping.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is. Uh... I'd rather be masturbating. That was that was the the t-shirt. Um, yeah, yeah. No, uh, we were very. Uh, I, I I try to upend images like what you perceive. So when we were you know, when I started my rap band, it was just like I'm gonna wear a skirt. You know, everyone would say, "Oh, that's a great kilt." I'd be like, "No, it's it's a it's a skirt." <laughs> I don't wear kilts, <laughs> and, and I would rap about how broke I was and um, and yeah and I am the best lover I've ever had and <laughs> just like and we sampled lots of God we sampled Camper Van Beethoven bands like Camper Van Beethoven Violent Femmes like all the, all the music that I would hear on college radio uh-huh. and play on college radio along with hip hop I I wanted to sample because it's so easy to sample, to take James Brown and make a a, a, a funk you know a good a, hi, a good hip hop song. It's easy to take a Stevie Wonder track and like mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take something that you would never expect to be you know to be bopping to and
0: and turn it around and make it something really funky. So. Yeah. So, in terms of the, just the evolution of your art and your message, were, were you at some point the keith in, in Woke just trying to, like, get mainstream success and get syndicated, you know, in USA Today? And
1: I guess kind of. I mean, what what we did in the show, here's the premise of Woke for all those who haven't seen it. Yeah. Basically, my character, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it opens on my character on the verge of making it big with a very mild and milk toast um <laughs> uh comic strip called Toast and Butter. Like it was uh, the first thing I thought about was milk toast and then it was like toast and butter. Like and I thought that that was the first idea that came to my head so I was like okay that that won't be it. So but I'll
0: <laughs> but it, it And Toast and Butter are are voiced by the whitest male voices you could imagine. Kind of. I mean, it it is, but one of them is
1: black. Like, it's two guys from, um, (laughs) it's, uh, uh, oh God, Richardson, Um, um, Tony, uh, the two guys from Veep, which is another show that I really love, Um, but uh, Tony Hill and, uh, I forget the other guy's name, but... They are, I mean, they were hilarious. And, and there was a purpose to making Toast and Butter t- 2D and all the other animation like puppetry and like real mm. because Toast and Butter are just really flat and and plain and empty. And it just makes sense that the first idea that came to my head, Toast and Butter, became that idea and uh, the idea that we used. And I, I, I loved it because I, I enjoyed developing sort of I, I made Toast and Butter comic strips and I just developed this whole thing behind it. So, and I said to myself, you know, if this all fails, <laughs> the least that can happen is I I'd start up a Toast and Butter strip, <laughs> you know? Um, but it was really fun working with them. But so he's about to make it big with Toast and Butter and then he, yeah, he just, he ends up being mistaken for a someone who's robbing people in, in the area uh, by cops. So he gets profiled by the cops, you know, very traumatizing. He gets tackled, guns pointed at him and all this stuff. And it jars something in him. And uh, so then it sort of opens up a third eye. And so that third eye is basically he starts to see like... Inanimate animate objects uh, become animated and come to life. And so these animated objects are kind of like his id telling him, yeah, you know, yeah, bust up this place. Like <laughs> throw mm-hmm. this thing at the window and bust it. Stuff like that. And we came up with that idea because I remember just saying, like there's nothing more boring than a show about a cartoonist where the cartoonist is just sitting there drawing. Like there's nothing. It's so boring. So uh-huh. <laughs> we're like, how can we incorporate animation and stuff like that to make it interesting and Mm -hmm. and to the credit of maurice marable the our director producer he's the one who came up with the idea of saying i don't want to just do 2d animation i want to do puppetry and stuff too which i think took it to a whole other level because he came when he when he presents when he has an idea of what he wants the show to look like, they come with a lookbook. So what that lookbook is, is all these images of, of stuff he wants the show to look like. So he came with a lookbook that featured, he said, there's four movies I want this show to look like. Do the Right Thing, which is a favorite movie of mine. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a favorite movie of me and my wife. Sorry to Bother You, which is a uh, uh, friend of mine who I've played with, uh, Boots Riley from The Coup, and a total bonkers movie.
0: That's that's about the uh, call center. Today. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. And then um, uh, Amelie, which huh. is
0: my wife's, one
1: of my wife's favorite films. So it was just like, when you came with that, I was like, all right, this guy gets me, you know, this guy uh-huh. gets me, so... Uh, and that really elevated the show. Anyway, so he's basically what he's going through right now is, through season one is basically his racial awakening, or I call it racial puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the 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 incident that happens with the cops is based on something that happened to me. But I had been doing cartoons about police brutality and profiling for a long time. Yeah. My woke moment to me, one of my biggest woke moments was when I was a junior in college because I had my first black teacher when I was a junior in college. So this is another huge thing that I've done comics about. They say that if a black student has one black teacher between kindergarten and 12th grade, their likelihood of going to college goes up like 30 to 35% just to have somebody that looks like them at the front of the class teaching them something. And I never had that. But I was lucky enough to have a substitute when I was in in grade school who was black. Young black man who was an aspiring cartoonist. So when we had a study class, he would invite me up beside his desk and we would doodle together. Hmm. And so seeing that guy was huge made me say I could do it but fast forward to my first black teacher ie teaching a class in in college in Salem Salem Massachusetts he was an American literature teacher and he assigned us for people to read Ralph Ellison James Baldwin uh, Richard Wright Maya Angelou and when someone said why are you giving us all all black writers he said I'm giving you all American writers and that to me was my woke moment oh sorry to hit the microphone but Mm -hmm. that was when my work went from being about keg parties to being about what it's like to be black in america like you can just tell your story but what i what i wanted to do was like how is it a little bit different because of the color of my skin and and how i grew up and and all you know that Mm -hmm. type of thing so so that to me was played a very important role and then going to San Francisco was moving to San Francisco after college was uh, another huge huge uh, moment for me and um, I think it's because I saw the legacy of underground cartooning once I moved out there Mm -hmm. and saw that you didn't have to have this little tiny daily cartoon strip you could have a A bigger format, and you could write about drugs and sex and and politics and all this different stuff. So, my work really changed from college to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and
0: became what it is today. So, I'm realizing two things. One is my first black teacher was when I was a junior in college. Oh wow! And the second thing is this is the first time I've ever thought about that. Mm. That's the thing. It's like,
1: I I think, I think white people take for granted that normal in America is white. And that all the books that they're going to get, that we all get, all the history is all geared towards elevating European Americans. And the rest of us have to just even fight to be heard or seen you know and it's that is an ongoing uh, concern and struggle and I was listening to some thing where they were analyzing what people black writers were asking for 50 years ago from today and then 50 years before that so In 1970, and then 50 years before that, 1920, and they found that. It's the same thing. Like, uh, you know, decent schools, decent neighborhoods, not to be (laughs) murdered, you know, by police or by, you know, by vigilantes and stuff like that. And, like, just the same things. All across the
0: board, like nothing has changed. It sounds pretty human. Like that's, I think you can pretty much, yeah, get yeah. that list of from like that's what humans want, right? And
1: the 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 important thing is though, like really, is to acknowledge what has come in the past and say like, this is what they were complaining about then and how much progress have, have we made. Mm. And you know, all these states are passing laws not to look at that, which is not a good thing. You now mm. it's, it's uh, um, very detrimental and um, it's super important. And it's not just for, for people of color to to, to learn this stuff. Like, you know everybody should. It's part of American history. You know the the, the European slave trade is really European history. <laughs> it's not really Black history. And so like that's, yeah, in, ter-
0: in terms of agency, right?
1: Yeah. And and but but I mean, and I, I say this all the time. Like, you know, Obama becoming president, which I think is really what I think it made a lot of. It made a lot of white people crazy that, that, that a black man became president. To the in it, and so you know, it started a lot of scaring a lot of people, saying, "Oh, you know, the white people aren't the top of the food chain anymore. Like you, we're going to be all knocked, wiped out." Hence, the rise of all this foolishness that's going on, and you know, Obama becoming president is not a black accomplishment. It is a white accomplishment because there have been plenty of people of color, plenty of black people who have been qualified to become president. It's just white people could not get themselves to vote for anybody like that. Hmm. And so the fact that they finally came around and voted Obama in (laughs) is a white accomplishment. And so... Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that we need to look at in a, a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to, that's what I try to do with my work is to get people to understand that a lot of the framing, again, is done by by white people. I just watched this, The Guardian yesterday just had an article that said, uh, will Dr. Dre's halftime Sh- Super Bowl concert Solve NFL's race problem. <laughs> who, yeah. who, who makes the decision to do a story like that? And it's not black people. <laughs> it's not black people. But you know, it's just it's silly stuff like that that is just makes me go. Um, you know, it 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 doesn't bode well for this nation as a. As, as a whole, no, which is kind it, of a downer.
0: And any day now, Biden is going to announce his pick for the Supreme Court. And it looks like it's going to be a black woman and a lot of white people are losing their shit about, you know, which is affirmative action. Yeah,
1: which is really interesting because, you know, Reagan said he would pick a woman. Trump said he'd pick a woman. but it's But if you put black in front of it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, wait, no, oh, wait and i mean that's i guess that's his mistake but um uh, hopefully moving forward he can be vague and just say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pick a woman and then he picks a black woman and you know they'll lose their shit when when it happens but they won't lose their shit now and so um, it's interesting it's all very interesting
0: So I wanted to get back to the the, the puppets and cartoons oh. who are talking to yeah. Keith. Yeah. And, you know, they're really in his head. It's not, it's not like these are sort of measured conversations that he has control over. Yeah. Like, they're, you know, they're, the, 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 the Sharpie is, like, um, pestering him you know, when he's on stage. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me, I saw you had in, in your online store, you had a, a drawing with a quote by James Baldwin. It's basically like to be, to be black in America and to be conscious means you're in a sort of a constant state of rage. Yeah. And I'm, like, that's how I'm seeing all these um, you know, animated objects yeah. kind of you know, impinging on, on the character Keefe's equanimity.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really it. Is, is, it's the voices in his head manifesting themselves in these inanimate objects all around him. And it was a great way for us to have, you know, the stuff that they're saying, if it was coming out of a human's mouth, it would sound preachy and, you know, whatever. But the fact that it's coming from these inanimate objects is kind of wacky and weird, and we can get away with it. So that was really, to me, that was really fun to do. And it was really fun to figure out how the animation was going to manifest itself throughout the season. And, you know, it reminded me of... I don't know if you remember the sixth sense, but it's kind of like you didn't know where the ghost was coming next, you know, where um, the ghosts were. So it was really fun to figure out, okay, where where's the next time the animation is going to show up? And um, <clears throat> so that was that was neat. And then what were they going to say? What were they going to talk about? And um, and then after that the voices that we got were so good, uh, from, you know, Nicole Byer and Eddie Griffin and Cedric the Entertainer and, uh, Jack McBriar from, uh, 30 Rock and, uh, and then, um, Keith David who did the Bible, which was really like his, we just wanted him to talk cause his voice sounds so good. And then Cree Summer who, um, is a huge um, like a classic voiceover person but she was on uh, a different world I had a crush on her uh, on a different world when I was you know way back when 50,000 years ago <laughs> it's cool did you tell her about it? I did no you know unfortunately all that stuff was done over Zoom because we finished shooting the season one a week before they shut everything down We are known as one of, I think maybe the last production that got finished before the first big COVID thing. So it was crazy. It was crazy. We were so lucky.
0: So some some of the the recurring jokes, which are which are hilarious, are also like painful. Like if they weren't, if you didn't make a joke out of them, there's like, you know, I think it's Gunther is the the, the roommate selling cocaine as an energy drink oh, yeah. and, and like, yeah. you know, and he's, he's featured like really getting in the cop's face, like as an ally. And yet it's clear, like they're like, if it was a black guy doing what he was doing, they'd be dead. That is really like the
1: most straight from my life experience is when that happened, when it happened with me, with the police, it wasn't so, uh, It wasn't so dramatic. I didn't get thrown down or anything, but I was hanging up posters and uh, a cop showed up and came out and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm hanging up posters and this is a staple. I'm going to put it down. And he says, you know, we have the suspect. So he calls all these cops and cops start driving from all different uh, perspectives, all different streets showing up. And um, my roommate, I had a white roommate who was on a bus who had turned the corner up at the top and he, saw, he said he saw all these cop cars down at the bottom of the hill, and he was like, "Where, where was this? The San Francisco?" Uh-huh. And he said, oh, "All right, SFPD hassling another black man." And then he, as he got closer, he realized, "Oh my God, like that's my roommate." <laughs> just like and he got off the bus and little white guy, and he came running across the street like screaming, bloody hell like, getting up in their face. And they all turned around and saw this guy running at them, like, with this totally angry look on his face. And they didn't do anything. They just were like, take it easy, man. Calm down. He was like, "Ah." and I said, that is, like, if I don't know where it's going to end up, but, like, that is an image that is seared into my brain. Mm. And um, so it was so... Uh, Mo did such a great job. Maurice uh, Marable did such a great job on that that scene because it's done in a way that is quick, but everybody gets it. Everybody sees it and knows knows that part, and that's great.
0: And I also got the sense that you know, that the, the, your character on the ground is really wishing your roommate would not do this because it's kind of escalate, like it's making it more dangerous for you. Just having anger. Like, you appreciate the gesture, but, like, stop. But also, he, you know,
1: like, I got the impression that, like, he was concerned for Gunther, that, like, something might happen to him, you know? Like, we purposely made my character more naive than I would be Uh because we want the audience to go on that journey with him. So, so there's a reason why, like, all this is just dawning on him, you know? and uh we could say he's been coddled all his life as the chosen one as uh and and in many ways i i sort of got that um you know when chaos was going on in my cafeteria or something and i'd be sitting there drawing like people would be like don't mess with him he's 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 the artist, (laughs) you know, it's just that type of thing. So it's gotten me out of a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. So in a way, you know, I I am rather innocent, but uh, but not as innocent as he is and whatever in his 30s or something. Right,
0: And, you know, your um, your black roommate, Clovis, is kind of, you know, the the jaded realistic one, right? Like there's, there's a scene at the beginning where they find a a white woman's wallet on the ground and Clovis is like, do not touch that. There's no, there's, there's no way in which this ends well for you. And he throws it, throws it away. And I will say
1: that when I wrote that scene, that's when I was like, Oh, I can write television because, um, it's a way of, Telling you what who the characters are, not by saying, oh, you're the one who's blah, 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 and you're the one who's blah, 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 but by their actions. So, you know, finding this wallet and him wanting to go to the cops and and Clovis being like, no way, are you crazy? Like, those two things where you're able to know who these characters are without them being blatantly described to you. And uh, so uh, that scene, not only did I love, like when I finished that scene, I was like, oh, I can write television. But that scene was uh, T Murph, the guy who plays Clovis, his first big scene and sort of the test as to, cause this was his first major role. And um, (laughs) during the reading, you you do a, a reading in front of all the executives um before we leave to go and shoot and he was so nervous that he started improving and like going way off script and, and just totally like everyone was like oh no and to his credit he went and um worked with his acting coach and all this stuff and just like and and then so that night when they were we were about to do that scene, everyone was just like holding their breath, and he just knocked it out of the ballpark. And it's just like, yeah, we have a show. You know, it's just really, really good. And what's really interesting is we shot that scene in Vancouver, in Vancouver's Chinatown, which looks like the Richmond District in, in San Francisco. And it's a show. It's a street called Kiefer Street, so it was shot on Kiefer Street. And the 22 bus came by, and it's the night bus. So it was K-N-I-G-H-T coming by. Huh. It was, yeah, it was so weird. Like, we were just
0: like, this is destiny. It's really wild. So weird things happen. So I'm curious about the, the dynamic on set, because you're presenting material, that I'm guessing, you know, the the black actors have experienced, like, yeah, this is life. And I'm wondering for the for the white actors who are participating, who may not have been in a a black centered show before, like, is there a discussion? Like, is this, does this happen? Is this re- like?
1: I, I think it's more. Uh, I think it was more the crew. I think uh, you know some of the crew, and and especially in Canada, you know, we had a majority white crew that were like, you know, what is this? <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Or, but I mean they but they were really you know most most were really great, but there were a couple of people that um that <laughs> i guess um, you know there's some there's there's some n words thrown around in the show and and I think you know one of the guys on set was you know flinging it around one of the white dudes, and he was asked not to do that, he was like, why, why they're saying it, why, why, you know, that type of thing, <laughs> but uh, but. Overall, it was a great experience up there. But no, it's... Um, I think more than anything, it's it's interesting, the dynamic. Again, going back to uh, white executives that may not get everything. Um, we had... But, you know, I'll say this. Our guys at Hulu were great. But there were sometimes uh, some of the... <laughs> Requests from higher ups were like um, you know at the end of the pilot the first episode when he gets mugged by uh, the black dude they're like so why is it so why isn't it more menacing they said like why isn't and I said well the point is that like his experience with the cops is supposed to be more menacing than him getting mugged by some black dude and there was this you know they said can we make him like just a little more scary. Can, can he have a gun? Can he have this? And I really didn't want, I said, like, I said, I, I, he originally was just going to be like this uh-huh. because I never wanted to show any gun, but then they, so he I compromised and he lifted up and there was a gun there. But, um, but you know, when I, I've, and this is the thing of compromise, the, the, the whole issue of compromise. Yeah. Cause I went in saying, I don't want, any black people shooting guns. I don't want any black people dressed up as women unless, unless that's, you know, unless they're trans or, you know, like I don't want it done in comedic stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't, a bunch of other things, but the, the just certain things that I just didn't want that you see in, and
0: all this mm-hmm. different stuff. And, um, you know, and, but the the acting in that scene was remarkable. Given now understand now knowing what you've just told me about your reluctance to it, like there's a bond between them of, of, of a kind of understanding. Like when he lifts and shows the gun, it's not like it, it, I didn't read it as I'm gonna. I'm this is a threat. But it's like, look, here's my uniform. This is how we're. This is the this is the roles we're playing. Here. Yeah, yeah. Like and he hugs him. At to the keep, end. Yeah,
1: to keep. Well, yeah, he's hugging him to just check to see if he has any. He, but that was a really good improv scene because um just it was just weird and funny um yeah i mean it, it, yeah the experience is is supposed to
0: just be not scary and yeah. i mean and, they've they've bonded over the fact that your character was the one mistaken for this guy
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i mean originally he was supposed to be a fan of toasted and butter and be like hey can i you know he was going to take a picture with the phone he just stole can can i get a <laughs> selfie but they it it, it was going to be a lot more slapsticky but we sort of kind of got it um I, I when i first got involved in it i was like listen i know everybody wants it to be a dramedy but all the dramedies i see are never funny they're like they call it a dramedy but it's like super serious and just i said i just want to be the funniest dramedy out there right and and so I didn't want to sacrifice any of the comedy, but I then realized after watching different comedies and stuff and seeing if you don't have any, a little bit of drama in it, you don't care for the characters. So you might laugh, but at the end it's kind of like, I don't know, like fast food. It's like, it's gone. No mm-hmm. steaks. Yeah. No stakes. And so, um, so I get that the drama makes you care for the character and it was super important i think lamorne had so much goodwill coming in from new girl that to see you know winston on the ground with cops like horrified people you know Mm. so um i think that that was really really good he he just does a great job carrying the whole emotional aspect he got so much to do in that show and that season um, you know, the teaser for season two is, frankly, you know, everybody loves all the other characters too. So, so like we're giving them uh, more, uh, and so it's it's going to be uh, a combination of you know it really is it the the story expands and involves uh, more than just Keefe in his head. Like by this time, I, I will say. In season two he's he's had therapy. So. Okay. <laughs> so he's dealing with it a little bit a little bit better. But uh, in season two it's sort of like this is post George Floyd, like just post George Floyd, where suddenly everybody's woke, right? And so what happens when woke becomes the thing, the brand, you know? So it's sort of Season 2 is like the co- commodification of Woke mm-hmm. and sort of what happens when, you know, Keith becomes sort of this semi-celebrity, you know, and sort of the poison that that, that is, you know, so.
0: I was going to ask about the... Because it, it didn't occur to me that you created the name of the show before George Floyd. Oh, yeah. Like, what? what you know, at some point, like, I missed it. Like, Woke... It was a compliment, and, uh, then, and then all of a sudden, it was an insult.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was ever a compliment. Like, but back in the day, it was like stay woke. Like, yeah. you know, just like, <laughs> like but, you know, if you're like oh, that guy's
0: woke. But, but that yeah, was a
1: good thing. At some point, yeah, it's it's gotten co opted and become just pejorative. But I, I actually, you know, it was happening while we were shooting season one. They were like, half the people hated the name, half the people loved the name. And I was. They said, "Do you mind if we change the name?" I was like, "Listen, I I, I don't mind, um, but it's just going to be a better name." And so <laughs> everybody pitched all their stuff. I think I pitched for Keith's sake. Um, I pitched the Gray Area um, as a play on Bay Area. Um, what else did I pitch? I don't know. I pitched a bunch of the K Chronicles, which is you know based on my comic, uh, but the nightlife. Um, but we, they hired some firm to come up with a new name and they tested it all and they said, there's nothing better than woke, you know, for better or for worse. And, Mm. you know, it will be debated until time goes, but every time I see it out there, every time, even... You know, when people say, oh, Hulu's too woke or this and that, like, I think we should lean into it. Like, I'm trying to get the promotion for this season to be like, um, I have this whole thing. Like, do you find yourself wondering if the person giving you a lap dance has decent health (laughs) care then you should be you might be suffering from secondhand woke (laughs) you know (laughs) and entitled to uh, compensation you know stuff like that like just (laughs) lean into it and just I Mm. mean it it, every everything has an opportunity to make you laugh and to be made fun of and it's just like let's just do it like I can't sit there and, and spend time on oh should we have
0: called it another name should we have to, you know it's like well I mean the other thing that, that came to me is that you know that people are criticized for being woke like it's a choice like oh you've decided to, to have this set of views and the way it's portrayed in the show it's it's, it's an awakening you can't go back to he can't go back to sleep yeah like you, woke woke is not something that he chose it's something that happened to him
1: yeah once you see it you can't unsee it you know what? I might use that, actually, because we wrote that down uh, in, in the first season. But but it's true. It's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. And what I love about the name, too, is that to this day, people are discovering the show because they dismissed it because of the name. They dismiss it. And then they run out of things to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then they say, all right. Uh, and they watch like an episode. and They're like, oh. This is actually funny. Like they, they expect that it's just gonna be something that's gonna yeah, preach goes, to them.
0: It goes down easily. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And it's uh, and they you know, it actually makes fun of the woke movement and and that's oh, sorry. It criticizes sort of the idea of some of these silly aspects of like um, you know the idea of okay, let's not call the master bedroom master. We're going to stop using. You know, make it so I can get alone just as easy as a white person. I don't care. You can call it master bedroom. You, you can call it master bathroom. I don't care. Just can I get alone? That that's it. Like those are the things that the real changes, not the cosmetic changes, the performative stuff that drives me crazy, and that's the stuff that we hopefully make fun of. So
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. I had one more, one more question, which is how, how I found out about you from y'all telling me about um, Black Mugshots.
1: Ah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting um, because it's something I've always wanted to do. I was sitting there going, and, and it was always in the back of my head. Like, so
0: uh, describe it. For, oh,
1: Black for Mugshots shots, uh, is, is a project that um, I, I've basically gotten black people to take a selfie of themselves with their favorite hot beverage with a mug. And then anybody who's not black has to have a black mug. So it fits the black mug shot idea. And it's an answer to the idea of the pro- pro- proliferation of mug shots. Like if you look at any like Google News or any aggregate news thing, the most thing you see of black people are mug shots, mug shots, mug shots. And... The thing about mugshots is these are only suspects. Like, all these mugshots are generally suspects. And there's never any follow-up. You know, they could be innocent. They could be the wrong person. They could be... There's never any... But you have that image seared into your head. And I just found out Ireland has outlawed mugshots because because of that very fact that you demonize people when you see them in a mugshot. And you can't get it off the internet. Like there are companies that claim they'll scrub your, the internet of your mug shot, but you can't do that. You can't do Mm -hmm. that. So for me, it started out as like, let's screw with the algorithm. Let's see how long it would take to end up in the Google image search with my picture in a mug with a mug shot amongst all these, you know, (laughs) mug shots. And it took about a month and a half. Um, but, um, but once people heard about it they were just psyched to do it and so people started sending me all these mugshots from all over the world and we have we're rolling up on 600 mugshots right now i i bought this i bought the website black mugshots and uh and and so now the goal is to get more than just my picture on the google image search cuz it's always my picture but um okay. but it's it's really neat. you know lamorne uh gave us a mugshot and Um, there's a few others, the guy who played the Mandalorian, um, uh, he didn't give us the mugshot, but (laughs) it was just out there with him with the black mug. So we're like, Oh, let's just add it on there. (laughs) But it's Disney, you know, Disney owned Tulu. They shouldn't get mad at me. But, um, but all this other, all these other folks like writer, like it, it, to me, when I look at it, it's all these cartoonists. There's all these musicians I played with. There's people I went to high school with, people I went to college with, people who live here in Carborough. people who lived in l a And like it's it's like this is your life when I look at my uh, thing. Yes. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool
0: yeah. um and what's what's the like the activist part of this other than, you know it's not- well it, it, it's it's to shed light and hopefully with the you know
1: Washington Post did a story on it and uh, I think Boston.com did a story on it, a couple of other places have, and they're syndicated to a bunch of different media uh, places. And the point I want to make is media companies should stop relying on mugshots. Like, and they're, they're... after George Floyd, there were all these articles saying that a lot of places would stop using mugshots
0: because, and specifically, mugshots means if so, someone's been stopped by the police or arrested. They take a very unflattering photo next yeah. to, next to a
1: with the with the numbers there,
0: or just a black
1: and white photo, and that and and just yeah, it's yeah. never yeah, it's it's yeah. very humiliating, humiliating, and if if you go for a job, if you go for uh, you know a place to live, you go for Anything and people, employers look at your social media immediately now. Like for when you go for a job, and if your if your mugshot comes up, it doesn't matter what you explain to them. Like they're mm-hmm. they're gonna think even if you are innocent. Like why would you get arrested? You know. And um, what was the statistic? They say something like black folks are 40 percent uh the total of what cops bring in but they're 84 percent uh their mugshots are in pictures so it's like every you know it's it's just Mm -hmm. so we're using the site for people to go to and like the next version of it we're listing organizations for like i want to uh end cash bail like we should end cash bail because basically it just keeps, keeps poor people in jail. Um, you know, prison justice reform, the Innocence Project. There's, there's going to be all these links to different places that people can sort of look into these issues and say, "All right, like maybe this is something I can help out with." Um, the book, uh, the Pri- books for prisoners project. That's something that I like to do every year is donate books to to prisoners and. and Just do whatever I can to sort of, uh, I don't know, help make the world a better place.
2: You are one of the rare people in the world who have a show where you are, you, there is a main character that is you. And that is like a one in a bajillion chance of like having a TV show about your life. So with that being said... If if the sky's the limit and anything's possible, what do you want in the next twenty years to happen to you that's fucking awesome? That just <laughs> that you that you know, like now that you have a show that's about you and like is, you know, your baby and whatever, like what what is possible for you? What like if you just dream manifest right now? Like what's the coolest next three big things that you either want to accomplish or like just happen to you or like crazy just yeah that's my idea that's my question
1: um well i mean you know i would love to be sort of somebody that creates opportunity for the next person like me you know so i would love to have one of these crazy deals where they're like netflix signs blah 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 to a production deal where it's just like first look you know and you can just come um with cuz I have a a bunch of different projects that um I I would love to to do. Uh-huh. Um and produce and and not just, you know, some are I want to be really involved in, some I just want to be back uh, and, and not do a whole lot with. But the other thing is, you know, I want to um I love food and uh <laughs> I want to have a show very you know like Anthony Bourdain like I like like that is like I I, you know I love rolling into a town I want to roll into a town and just meet with a few cool people talk about sort of the historical aspect of whatever's going on in the town Mm -hmm. and how it relates to food and then just have a great meal you know and um yeah and um so that's like I would love to do that um that's sort of a, a fantasy thing. Like, what is, what better? I mean, traveling, learning, and eating. Like, those are, <laughs> that's, that's it. Those are the three things that, like, I would love to be able to do. And, um, but, uh, you know, everything else is just like, I just want to see my, you know, I guess provide, like, I, I want to see my my family's dreams sort of come together, so yeah, my son wants to play baseball and wants to play Major League Baseball and, you know he's he's well on his way, he's playing for a travel team and just like, just really talented and, and amazing and so it's just those things uh, um, it, it, obviously I would love to see sort of you know, massive reform. I, I But I, I would love to see the educational system, you know, again, we have to... Get, America is going through its darkest time in a, in a really long time. In recent history. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's pretty dark. And it's going to continue to get really ugly. And then at some point, it's got to... It's... Hopefully it hits rock bottom and then comes comes back up and... You know this this educational system that we have than where people are suddenly like, "I don't know someone put it best, like you know, if you are more concerned about banning books than banning guns you know mm-hmm. in in classrooms, then I think your priorities are mixed up, you know, and mm-hmm. uh and just the idea of it's kids that." Kids want to learn. Like they, it's it's the parents that are like, uh, you know, I almost think like the parents are worried that their kids are going to see their grandparents in some picture of screaming at some little black girl trying to get into school. You know,
0: <laughs> so um, it's just, maybe we could pixelate all the white faces in those pictures. There you go. There you go. um <laughs> Compromise. Oh God.
1: It's just it's just really interesting. But like that's the type of stuff I really want to explore. Like if we can get a third season. You know, it's it'd be really interesting to go down that road and just, um, I don't know. I remember going to visit San Francisco Juvenile Hall. And they asked me to come there because my book was the most stolen book out of the <laughs> prison library. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, there are so many different things that have happened that I was like, oh, yeah, man, that would be great to get that into the show or this into the show. And um, so... I don't know. I guess it's just... I've always considered myself extremely fortunate. You know? Always. When living in San Francisco... And I just remember just being like... This is like where I want to be. And, you know, this was when San Francisco was inexpensive. Listen, Mm -hmm. the best time to go to San Francisco... Is right after a big earthquake. So Mm -hmm. the next time there's a huge earthquake... It's going to scare most people away. It's going to be plenty of vacancies, and you get in there now. So, (laughs) Um, but I don't know. And just I'd say, don't be afraid to fail. Like that's the other thing is like, you know, any advice that I'm about to speak to my, hopefully, in person, uh, speak to my school. I'm I'm doing commencement at Salem State University's um, this graduation in May this would be like don't be afraid to fail you know it's just like I think that's probably the thing that prevented me from accomplishing this stuff earlier on is you know my goal was to go to San Francisco for five years and then go down to LA try to make a television show I stayed in San Francisco for 16 years because it was wonderful and amazing but you know I probably got comfortable too and Mm. And I realized that at <laughs> after 16 years, I was just like, okay, I'm really comfortable right here. And I don't want to be 20 years from now, be like the bitter, angry guy that was saying, oh, San Francisco used to be cool, but now it's blah, blah, blah. So, so I got out, went to L.A. and then, you know, right before the show happened, I didn't know the show was going to happen, but we left LA and everyone was saying, don't leave. <laughs> don't leave. You don't know when your, your thing is going to come in. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to be here like 20 years down the line. I, I stayed cause I thought it was. And so I, I came here and I think my producers were shocked that I left. They're like, Oh my God, he really left. So they, I think they it put a fire under their asses to say, we gotta, we gotta make a show so we can get him back here. Um, but I told him, I'm not going to move back to L.A. Like its I don't think it's a, a great place to raise a family. Unless you're like... I don't even think if you're super rich, because then you just hang out with super rich, spoiled brats. So, um, you know, it was really great to move here. And everybody now says, Oh, man, you did the right thing. You got out, man. Like, <laughs> everything's successful and expensive and blah, blah, blah. You know, so... Um, yeah, so it's, it's cool, but that's a very long answer. I mean, but you, you heard what I said, like, yeah, it's, I, I know how lucky I am and I've always, I've always considered myself like that. I was always a lucky person, you know, um, not luck in the sense that I'd win the lottery, You're but the lucky yeah, twin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not the smart twin. I'm the lucky twin. <laughs> That might be Lucky Twin Productions. That might be the name of my production okay, company. You
2: know, <laughs> I also thought of a name for your uh, I thought of a name for your Stanley Tucci uh, cooking show. Come on, you got it. If he goes if he goes and hangs out with Stanley Tucci and they cook together, it could be called Big Night.
1: Oh, big Night. Well, I actually have a title for that. My I my title would be Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, okay. which I've had for a long time. But since Sydney uh, Potier passed, it means even, you know, more a little homage to him. So, but yeah, it's and, and one of the things I always wanted to do was like, I want somebody's mom or grandmom to cook because they always do something better than hmm. any restaurant. So. The show should always end with eating at somebody's mom's or grandma's house, you know? so. Nice. That's my thing.
0: Nice. So for people who want to know more about you, find your work, uh, buy stuff, where, where do
1: they go? Um, com. So Keith Knight, K N I G H D Knight as in, Knight in Shining Armor. com will get you to books and... Uh, original art and prints and stuff like that. Um, if you want to subscribe to my work, my latest work, Patreon, uh, I have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Keef Knight, K E E F K N I G H C. I know that's confusing. But, uh, and then my old school site, Kchronicles.com, is like, it's so old that. Anybody who's like under forty is like, oh wow, you got that cool retro site. Yeah, I say, no, it's it's the same site. <laughs> yeah, it
0: looked very two thousand three. Oh, it's
1: it's. I think it's older than that. But um, but but, you,
0: but you, keep, you keep it up to date. It has you know. Recent. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I think I update it like once a month. But um, it's yeah, like I do everything myself when I shouldn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, there's so many things I should be doing. make someone else work on but I don't know it's DIY that's what I I grew up on doing (laughs) DIY DIY or die
0: (laughs) so cool and also shows called Woke on Hulu Woke April 8th Mm -hmm. yeah 4-8 and
1: uh, yeah it's gonna be fun it's uh, I don't know we'll see we'll see what they go with I hope they go with the uh, I don't I don't Whatever's best, whatever they come up with as poster. The poster is best, but uh, my kid's gonna make. I'm gonna write out, like, have them send a check so it's all official. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and well, I'll just I'll just tell people this is not like, you know, watching you need to do like for a class. This is fun. This is this is binge worthy television. It's like eating dessert that has wisdom and.
1: Yeah, it's like all my comics. I hope you laugh, but you know, the first priorities make you laugh, but the second thing is to make you think. Hopefully it'll make you think. The best of my comics do that. They make you laugh and also make you think.
0: Awesome. Well Keith Knight, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. It's been lovely sitting out here and thanks to El for arranging like it and thirty for... million questions that maybe we can ask for part two. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe you should start to a podcast. Question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: you maybe should. Well <laughs> I I love the idea of podcasts, like, and it's such a perfect. Um, I don't know, just it's. I love conversation. I've, I love the idea of just chatting and 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 just chatting about different issues and stuff, and not like I I've often talked to my thirteen year old. Like, we should start a. Because that community radio station, I was like, we should do a show and, you know, we can just talk about, I don't know, local stuff and you guys can talk about it too. You know, it'd be really fun to talk about, have the and boys we can on. Have
2: them on next time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's so funny because the 13 year old's talking, you know, he talks like a 13 year old and he keeps on, they're homeschooled, so they're all around, they're around each other all the time. So, no. <laughs> you know, he's, saying a lot more dirty stuff. I was like, <laughs> your brother's going to say this to one of the other kids in the neighborhood. They, uh, you know, and it's just like, you don't want that to happen. So, please, don't <laughs> do that. But it's interesting. Um, advice, as a homeschooler, as someone who's been um, through it. um, And but this was from, I guess, both of you. Like, what would you say... Is something, you know, like, the three most positive aspects of your experience and and what you did?
0: Um, Well, for me, the most positive is, like, the absence of a kind of conformity. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely.
2: I I would... I mean, I've had a couple of... This is a different podcast now when I'm into it. uh, Like... I dropped out because I was so passionate about drawing and about making art and about learning about art that I would like dr- like sneak out of like American history class, which was completely tale inaccurate. Class, yes, fairy tale class. <laughs> May I add, <laughs> like, and then the Native Americans just kind of did their own thing and kind of just pieced out. I'm like, yeah. no, they didn't. So yeah. I ended up just like you I dropped to a pretty progressive school. Too. I did. We won't name names. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've spoken uh, <laughs> that progressive. Stage. I'm sure
2: you have, <laughs> but uh, I just in that moment, in that time, in that class, I had just lived in South Africa for the past nine months, and mm-hmm. I was just having a lot of trouble readjusting to being treated like a kid mm-hmm. and not just like treated like a person, and so I dropped out so that I could, like, draw as much as I wanted and, like, learn as much as I wanted. So I would say I dropped out of school so that I could keep learning. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Wow. That's a great
1: quote. I dropped out of school so I could keep on learning.
2: And I have. (laughs) I've gotten so much joy out of learning.
1: My time from 10th grade to 12th grade, I don't think I learned anything. I think Mm -hmm. that one animal farm experience was the only thing that I got out of it. It's Mm -hmm. like... It just became just social thing and that was it. It's like you just stop learning and it becomes, I don't know, just it was, it was, yeah, it was not a good, a good experience. And, and yeah, the whole history thing, that's a huge priority to me is I want my kids to know uh, what I know uh, much earlier. And, um, and I think, I think that's what happens with, with with black and brown people. It's like, we have to spend... After we get out of this school, we have to spend the rest of our our adulthood on learning
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: like, learning how the system works. Like, there's this whole...
2: Why do we have to learn about the French and Indian War four times? Really? Like, really? There's no, no other remarkable history has taken place?
1: Yeah, well... I we learn about... I, I mean... Uh, you know the things that why why do why are all the black neighborhoods you know in the worst part of town you know near septic tanks near uh
0: there are less trees there are You're less
1: off by the highway so yeah, you can't walk in yeah yeah exactly uh-huh.
0: like those are the type of things well, that, we're not we're not allowed to talk about that anymore that's CRT yeah
1: yeah no no yeah, i mean <laughs> One, we never talked about it, which is they're banning something that isn't even taught in school. But now, like, yeah, now if you say anything about it, it's just like you're going to get in trouble. So, I don't know. I just feel like um, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for <laughs> some – I mean, maybe that's that's the thing I do is create a, a, a series of schools like that are like, here – Learn the stuff that they don't want you to teach, you know. Yeah.
2: Um, unschooling curriculum. Yeah,
1: yeah, just mm-hmm. yeah, unschool yourself. Um, but yeah, it's it's all very interesting. But I like I like that though, um, and that that's what we do is a combination of unschooling and homeschooling, and 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 they lean into sort of the stuff that they're really into uh my 9 year old is playing guitar right now and yeah my 13 year old i mean is so into baseball and you're able to teach so many things like percentages and and a lot of number stuff with baseball but yeah uh, yeah but yeah also just just the idea of just learning the business aspect of it and also the history of it um and this is something I talk about too, that Jackie Robinson was not the first black baseball player like they had black ball players in in the late eighteen hundreds, but it was a gentleman's agreement that happened after reconstruction that like you know all the black codes and all the segregationist laws that that came after um that prevented black people from playing until jackie Robinson so
0: another white accomplishment right <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly.
1: So, uh, there's so much, there's so much to talk about. And
0: yeah, the other thing that I thought was very important and challenging about homeschooling was I had to develop trust in my children Yeah, that, you know, there was a way that when they were in school, I could sort of outsource that like, okay, this is the system that's kind of Works that's going to take care of them, and when when they didn't want to do anything or they didn't want to read or something like to trust that there's something innately good about human nature, as expressed in these two, yeah, that that I I don't have to worry like they're they're not going to spend their lives playing video games and so well so we got to get there with with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well so did, so did we oh, I yeah. mean <laughs> I yeah.
1: some
2: days to the Sims I'm not going to lie. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's funny cuz we we barely let them play <coughs> at all and uh I know there are so many people that pay, play a lot more than they do. So, um But to to yeah, to me it's just like for me, racial literacy, media literacy and financial literacy, those 3 mm-hmm. are things that I feel like uh I want I want them to the stuff that I that they don't teach in school and and that I think is very important you know why you know and and they they have a great in, introduction to media literacy because they've been to the set they've seen like
2: oh my gosh what a cool yeah what a cool homeschooling experience and
1: they see like they've been there when I get like audition tapes they've been there when it's like I here's the you know, they think, you know, there's way too many swears, <laughs> but they just see all the different stuff and, um, you know, the effects and stuff like, you know, I say, well, the you know, the cops, the guns that the cops have are clearly fake. But, you know, this is stuff that I didn't even know that like in the fantasy sequence in episode eight, when when he's getting shot all the different ways, when they're imagining what mm-hmm. would happen to Keith if something goes bad it's just all the effects that they add on like that these little smoke effects and mm-hmm. these these lighting effects and stuff and, you know they don't really use uh um the things they used to use before
0: that mm. would be, did you did you have an armorer on set like i'm, I'm thinking about this now because of you know alec baldwin and rust
1: oh no this i mean a, again like none of this stuff None of them had bullets in it. None of them had the fake stuff. I forget what that's called. But no, they just, they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Nothing came out of them. So, uh, no, no. Mm. I mean, one of the new things is like the intimacy coordinator, mm -hmm. which I think is super important. Yeah. And um, so uh, that's, you know, that's interesting. The way they take, the way... Sound is added to a scene is really interesting because they'll take ambient sound for a room or outside or and like all the subtle stuff. And then they'll the way they fool with the light, the lighting and the colors in a picture in the scene. Like if you look at season one, like the colors are really beautiful and, and, and like really. Mm-hmm. and And a lot of that stuff is I don't know if it's added, but it's it's really adjusted. And it re- looks really beautiful, and, and Mo spent a lot of time working on that. And then, if you shoot something like this, you have to get an okay for. You have to get a, an okay for all the artists who do all this work behind you, and if you don't, like, we thought someone had gotten this okay. We shot this thing where there was all this graffiti. Mm-hmm. And apparently they didn't get the okay. So we had to, like, there's a scene where they're buying the shoes. Uh-huh. And it's all CG. It's all, like, all the graffiti oh, on the no. walls. Yeah. So it's, like, <laughs> 50 grand. Like, it's crazy. Just. But it's. it's like,
2: you licensed the wrong song. Like, uh-oh. Oh, no. wow dollars
1: later. Well, no, no. I mean, that we had great people do that. And I, I loved working with them. In fact, it was Issa Rae. Her her company called Radio, um, they, it's a great company, and they just were really great at getting all the right, I mean, the, the presenting all this great music and stuff like that, and, you know, there's some stuff that we had to have that there was just no better song for it, like Bill Withers' A Lovely Day, like... That's like, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, Public Enemy, another one is my favorite songs. One of my favorite songs. When he throws, you know, the homage to Spike Lee. When he throws the uh, the garbage, trash, can. yeah, garbage can. <laughs> that, in fact, that scene was like, that was. I said when I'm when I was pitching the show, I was like, listen, you know, all I want to do is have a scene where my character picks up a thing and throws it, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't break and. And so, if I get that scene, I'll be happy. So um, it's yeah, it's fun to see that stuff come to life, and you just you just say, "Wow, this is great." And I I, I had that moment, uh, you know, about the young ones because I remember being in high school and just being like, "I want to make a show like this," you know. And so I didn't it, it didn't flash back to me until. They were doing some puppetry on the set, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is it! Like, I'm doing it! I'm doing it!" You know, so. Yes. Are you Are you going to make any cameos? Yeah, I was
2: actually going to ask you that. Are you in
1: a cameo? Or are you doing yes, that? I do. I, yes, I do. I'll do one every season. Every season we get. So yeah, I'm definitely in it. So.
0: Awesome.
1: I'm I'm in it in a much better like the last last year I was the uh, koala that punches my character so you have no idea but you can almost kind of see it's me in, in this in this new one so yeah we'll see
0: cool well thank you so much i've just adored this conversation excellent
1: uh, no yeah it's a, a a pleasure and uh you know let's uh let's do it again and hopefully we'll have a, a a reason to
0: awesome well maybe we should get the kids together and have them drop wisdom I think she'll be dropping the wisdom, and and Uh, my 13-year-old
1: will be dropping (laughs) (laughs) dirty words and (laughs) laughing. No, I will say, I remember we were at, at, I think, Target, and they had something where you donate money, you know, at Mm. the end. And he's like, that's exactly what he said. He said, so so we're supposed to give them money, (laughs) and then they donate it, and, and... and, you know, it, they get the credit for it.
0: And, uh, and I was like, <laughs> right, yeah, that's a homeschooler right, right. there. Excellent. <laughs> right. Racial and and financial literacy. There you go. Check. Check it up. All right, and that's a wrap. Boy, that was fun. Boy, I want to do more of those. I'm curious to hear from you. And you can talk back at plantyourself.com slash talk. Uh, just go to any web browser. If you have a microphone, you can share up to five minutes. Um, This is getting a little bit far away from the original um, process of this show, which was just about plant-based, about, you know, cookbook authors and doctors. Um, You know, and I'm expanding what I'm interested in and what I think is important about, you know, a healthy planet. And I'm curious. I'd love to talk to more artists and creators about the stuff that they're working on that may not be entirely plant adjacent. And, you know, Keith didn't talk about like what kinds of food he wants to uh, experience on this uh, travelogue, Anthony Bourdain like cooking show, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be all, you know, broccoli and cauliflower. Um, what do you think? You know, or would you go on this journey with me if I'm expanding and talking to more creatives about the work that they're doing in the world? Because sure is fun to talk to, you know, people whose living is, you know, mind from their imaginations. And it certainly helps me Um, you know, be more imaginative in the work that I'm doing in the world. So again, plantyourself.com slash talk. Let me know what you think. Okay, show notes for today's episode, along with the photos, as I said, that my daughter Yael took, which you can find at plantyourself.com slash 504, along with links to Keith's work and um, the show on Hulu. And what else is going on? Uh, Movement news. Boy, it's a beautiful day today. Might get up into the mid 50s and sunny and it looks like it's going to be that way for a while, so I'm expecting to do some sprinting and then ultimate on Saturday. Kind of get up the get the cardio back up after a winter of honestly relative uh, ease and sloth. Garden news: Not much going on now, except you know pouring through seed catalogs and starting to prepare the spring planting. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Ricky Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Berenst, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle ex Elsbeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Miguel Sert, David Donahue, Blair Seiberg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lienan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill elf Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi.